Good morning, friends. So a few years ago at my old church, we were running the Alpha Course, which is an introduction to Christianity that's geared towards spiritual seekers. One of the people who attended that Alpha Course was named Natalie. And Natalie had come to All Angels through this shelter that we used to run on Sunday nights. And unlike the others who came to stay at the shelter, who were often quick to take showers and to change and settle down under the covers for the night, um, Natalie would lay very stiffly on top of the blanket, um, holding her bag tightly to her chest um, all night long with her heavy shoes still on. And her lips and her ears were as full of piercings that she had done herself using paper clips and, and other metal objects. And she would keep mostly to herself, um, fluctuating between um, being skittish and being silent. And so I was surprised when she slipped me a note one night saying that she wanted to join the Alpha course after we had announced it. But she said in her note that she didn't want to speak during the entire class. And she asked if it was okay to write notes if she had any questions, which we said, of course, of course you can. So one particular night, the topic was why and how should I pray? Um, Thomas Woodman, um, who many of you know, was leading the discussion that night. And he had asked the group, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? And then he invited people to go around the circle and you know, giving them freedom to pass if they didn't want to answer. And when it came to Natalie, I thought for sure that she would not want to speak. But instead, she responded quietly, I would ask God for myself. There was silence afterwards. One, because I think we were all really surprised that she spoke. And two, it didn't quite register. Ask God for yourself? What does that mean? And she continued and she said, over the course of my life, it feels like pieces of me have been broken off along the way. And so I would ask God to find them and give me back myself. It was the most that I had ever heard her speak at once. And Chris, who was uh, someone who called himself an atheist, um, was sitting next to her. And when it was his turn to answer, he said what she said. I would ask God for the same thing. Now, it could be easy to look at someone like Natalie. And because she's homeless, perhaps expect her to respond with, I would ask God for a home, or I would ask God for food or for a job. And those things are important. They're basic human needs. But there's something that's even more basic than a home and food, and that is wholeness. We all felt it when she said it, because every single one of us felt that too, to be our truest, best, most loving, most courageous, most free, most whole selves. In our gospel reading today, Jesus says, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Now, Christians talk a lot about being quote-unquote saved, and one of the great disservices that we have done um, in the world, or done, or one of the great services that we have done in the world, 
is limiting that word saved to this idea of going to heaven after you die. That's a kind of bigger topic for another time. But for now, I'll just say that that's not even what the word save means. The word save um, is sozo in the Greek. And what it means is to heal, to rescue, to get well, to restore, to be made whole, to heal what is wounded, to rescue what is lost, to restore what is broken and to make it whole again. And what is being healed, rescued, restored and made whole is our life, our soul, our true selves as we were created by God before anything happened in our lives to break pieces of ourselves off along the way. So there's a principle that we observe in nature, we'll be seeing it this spring, that in order for life to come forth, there has to be death. Before flowers and trees can bloom in springtime, their petals and their leaves have to die first. And there's really no way around this. Death and then life. In John chapter 12, in talking about his death, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, there will my servant be also. It's just another way of saying, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The journey of Lent is a journey of learning how to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. It means losing our lives in order to save it. But what does that even mean to lose your life to deny yourself. Maybe one might imagine a cult where the obliteration of the self is key in order for the cult leader to gain control over his followers. And you don't even have to go as extreme as a cult. Like a lot of churches discourage anything that might smack of self-actualization or having desires or exercising your will or self-love. Like anything that has to do with oneself is seen as being self-centered. But here, Jesus is talking about a particular kind of death to self. He was talking about death to the false self. In biblical language, it might be called the old nature, the flesh. Um, sometimes Paul calls it the old man. The spiritual writer Bob Mulholland describes the false self as the self that is separate from God or experiences itself as separate from God. It's a facade, a persona that we create that is different than the person that God created us to be. The self that roots its identity in things other than God, maybe success or relationships or, or outward appearance or their culture or your tribe, anything other than God. Now, if any of you have um, spoken with me, um, probably at, in almost any conversation, at some point you will have heard me talk about the Enneagram, which is um, a kind of spiritual typology, sort of like the Myers-Briggs. 
And I know even right now, some of you are rolling your eyes because it's kind of become a thing. It's been become kind of trendy and some people love it. And some people are just like enough about the Enneagram. You can't put me into a box. So I happen to be one of those people who love it because it's been such a helpful tool for me in my own spiritual growth and my own journey towards wholeness. And what I like about it so much is that it goes deeper than other typologies because it names has a way of naming the core of what motivates us and the different kinds of motivations that each of us have, like what drives us? What are those strategies that we've learned and developed over the years that have helped us to survive and succeed? And what they say in the Enneagram is that these strategies that we've learned aren't bad in and of themselves. They actually helped us to survive. So maybe as young children, we had challenging home lives and we were neglected by the adults around us and we ended up having to care for ourselves. And what we learned unconsciously or consciously is if I don't take care of myself, if I don't control this situation, then I'm not gonna survive. You know, maybe we only ever received affirmation when we got good grades or got awards. And so we learned this subconscious message that if I don't succeed, then I won't be loved. Or maybe, you know, we were, we were hit or yelled at whenever we spoke out. And so we learned how to shove our thoughts and opinions and desires down to the point of completely losing touch with ourselves. You know, there's just a million different ways that this can play out in your life. And it worked. It helped us to survive. But what ends up happening when we start to follow Jesus is that we begin to bump up, bump up against this limitation, this way of living. There is more to life we begin to see than trusting in ourselves. What St. Augustine called the curvature towards the self, being curved towards ourself, our ego, our agenda. You know, I have to be honest, like priests are often the most guilty of this in the very process of doing God's work and doing all of the seemingly like sacrificial selfless ministry for others. That's really just done for ourselves because we are desperate for approval and affirmation and wanting to be recognized and wanting to have a successful ministry. So like on the Enneagram, I'm what they call a type nine, which is the peacemaker. And at our best, Type nines bring peace and harmony and connectedness and empathy into the world. And at our worst, we are so desperate for peace that we will settle for false peace and avoid conflict and sweep things under the rug and accept unacceptable behavior and not say what we're really thinking deep down as people affirm us for being so understanding and so accepting and so flexible. And all this seeming generosity of spirit then becomes a facade for something that is ultimately really just about us and not about God and not about others, the false self. So as we take that deeper journey into God, what begins to happen is that we kind of start to get sick of ourselves, our false selves, that is. And like Natalie, we begin to see that pieces of ourselves have broken off and we long for them to return to us and to be made whole, to become our true selves as we were created and are being redeemed by God. And in that sense, as, as Ruth Haley Barton says, the journey into God 
the journey of following Jesus is the journey into our true self. That in order to save your life, you have to lose it. Death that leads to life. And so what Lent does is it helps us to practice, quote unquote, sort of dying little deaths so that new life can emerge. I mean, there's no point in giving something up just to give it up because it's Lent. The bigger question, the deeper question is what's underneath the surface? You know, maybe you noticed that when you're anxious or lonely or sad that you crack open a bottle of wine. Now drinking alcohol isn't wrong, but during Lent, you say, I've noticed this pattern in my life that I turn to alcohol or shopping or social media or eating, whatever it may be. And in this season, I wanna become conscious of what drives my behavior under the surface. You know, that maybe I feel diminished or unloved or ugly or fearful. Sometimes the behavior is something religious and really spiritual. Maybe you keep on praying about things and reading all these Christian books instead of go and just having that hard conversation with the person that you need to talk to or actually going out and living it instead of just reading about it all the time or facing yourself and your sadness in silence before God. Maybe some of us need to give up reading Christian books for Lent. What are the little deaths that we need to die, the ways that we can practice denying our false self so that the true self in Christ can live in the freedom and the flourishing given to us by God? How do you sense Jesus calling you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him this Lent? I'll be honest, it can be scary. I mean, terrifying even. But we do not go this journey alone. Jesus, our good shepherd and our great high priest has gone before us through his death on the cross. And in so doing, he has secured life and salvation. He holds our true selves for us in himself, bringing back those pieces of ourselves and making us whole. And one day, all of creation finally, wholly, and fully healed. I'll end with this quote from C.S. Lewis um, in describing this in Jesus's death and resurrection. And he writes, one has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, then flashing for a moment in the air and then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, then up again, his lungs almost bursting, back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then at last, out into the sunshine, holding in his hand the dripping thing he went out to get. This thing is human nature, but associated with it, all nature, the new universe. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Glory to God, 
Glory to God in the highest. Be still, my soul. Lord, make me whole. Lord, make us whole. Amen.